You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, powering the transition to a resilient, renewable, decentralised energy system of the future. And Solaray, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Energy Insiders. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual on this um, last podcast of the financial year is David Leach from ITK and, and ITK Services. Sorry, David, I got your I got your moniker wrong. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Giles. I trust all our, our listeners uh, are, are coping okay with this incredibly tough year, and I've heard, seen a number of reports about how people are looking forward to next year, but let's face it, we've still got to make the most of this year. Uh, so, And this week on Energy Insiders, I think, Giles, we did that. We, 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 we scored a great interview, didn't we? Look, we did. We've been aiming to get New South Wales Energy Minister um, Matt Keane for a while, and um, we did um, land him last Friday. And um, look, I think we'll just let this in, um, the interview speak for itself. Um, it's Matt Keane. He is the Energy and Environment Minister in the New South Wales Coalition Government. New South Wales Energy Minister Matt Keane, thank you very much for joining the Energy Insiders podcast. Giles, thank you so much for having me. This week, you announced the result of the expressions of interest for the new Central West Renewable Energy Zone, the first such zone in New South Wales and indeed Australia. You were looking for a response to fill about 3,000 megawatts of capacity. You got pretty much 10 times that amount in responses in wind, solar and various forms of storage. Can you give us a bit of a breakdown as to whether it was mostly solar, mostly wind or mostly storage? Look, it was a bit of everything. I mean, we were just so excited. We went out to the market and asked for uh, expressions of interest to fill the 3,000 megawatt capacity uh, target that we'd set for the first renewable energy zone in the Central West. And we were overwhelmed to receive uh, a response uh, for 27,000 megawatts of proposals in the region, uh, potentially worth about $38 billion in new private capital. So it, it was very exciting. Mostly it's going to be wind, solar, pumped hydro and batteries. Um, but uh, as I said, my focus is on delivering a transitioning our grid to ensure that the New South Wales citizens get access to some of the cheapest, most reliable electricity you'll find anywhere on the planet. This must give you great confidence to have that much capacity, both in terms of cheap um, generation, wind and solar and storage, that um, New South Wales is going to be able to manage that transition. Because in some ways, New South Wales is going to be at the forefront there because Liddell re, um, retires in three years' time, um, Eraring and Vales Point probably at the end of the decade, and then five or six years later, I think the last two, Bayswater and Mount Piper. Um, it should give you great heart that you can actually replace those coal-fired generators with a, a mixture of renewables and storage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is that the majority of the sources which we currently get our electricity from, are coming to the end of their technical lives and they need to be replaced. And there is new technology now available in the marketplace that will deliver cheaper, reliable forms of electricity that also happens to be clean. So we should grab this opportunity. We should grab this opportunity not only to deliver cheap, clean energy to the citizens of New South Wales, 
But by having a competitive advantage in low-cost energy, it means that we can potentially reindustrialize our state and indeed our country. And that is an opportunity for us to be an economic superpower, not just an energy superpower, an economic superpower. And it's too big an opportunity not to grab. Uh, Matt, it's David Leach here. Um, you, you talk about uh, the cheapness and, and it's great to hear that. I guess what I see when I look at the baseload futures price is that, in fact, New South Wales prices out to 2024 are about $5 a megawatt hour higher than in uh, other states. I also see that um, despite two and a half gigawatts of new capacity that's under construction in New South Wales right now, which is a fantastic result, and all of that, uh, those proposals in the REZ and the other REZ that uh, Transgrid is proposing between Gunnedah and New South Wales. And I apologise for this long question, but uh, uh, New South Wales is still going to be a net energy importer. And so I guess I could ask this question in a number of different ways. Do you think the policies in place are, are enough to actually, um, I guess, make New South Wales uh, self-sufficient or... or, or uh, if I also add in the, the fact, and I uh, apologise again for a long question, that you know the cost of capital is the main driver of wind and solar, um, and that that uh, you know a, a PPA with the New South Wales government, uh, as as we've seen in ACT Queensland, uh, Victoria, and extensively overseas, could probably cut prices to New South Wales consumers by I don't know ten dollars a megawatt hour over alternatives. I mean, uh, do you think? We, what you've got in place is enough. David, this is what I'm focused on every day of the week, making sure that New South Wales has access to some of the cheapest uh, electricity anywhere, not only in the country, hopefully in the world. Um, I'm confident that with our renewable energy zones, uh, with uh, by coordinating the transmission, the generation, uh, we can get uh, those electricity prices down, not just in the short term, but in the long term. I want to see low-cost energy in New South Wales. And we've got a number of strategies to do that, which we'll be announcing uh, very shortly. But obviously, the cornerstone of that is the renewable energy zones, which we've uh, underwritten with funding, with a, an agreement with the Commonwealth, which ensures that we'll be absolutely able to deliver on the commitment that we've made. So yes, is there more to do? Absolutely. Um, I didn't create this problem, but I'm the guy sitting in the chair trying to solve it at the moment. And we're absolutely focused on transitioning away from older technology to newer technology which will deliver cheaper, reliable energy that is also clean and set New South Wales up to be an energy superpower and an economic superpower uh, as we re-industrialise because of our competitive advantage in low-cost energy. Uh, I might add that my uh, one of my daughters lives uh, at Mount Kohler in your electorate and she's a keen supporter of your uh, efforts in this area. Um, I, I guess if I look at there's some big industries in New South Wales that worry about their electricity price all the time and Tomago Aluminium is, I guess, the biggest electricity consumer in the whole NEM. Uh, do you think that the uh, policies that you've got in place are, are, are going to be enough to ensure Tomago's future? Or how, how do you think about that? Well, that's exactly what we aim to do. We want to see... Uh, those uh, energy intensive industries uh, having a competitive competitive advantage because they're domiciled here in New South Wales. In order, in order to achieve that, we need to get new generation into the system. We need to get a lot more new generation into the system to drive down prices. 
It needs to be a mix of forms of generation, wind, solar, batteries, and of course, pumped hydro. I've met with the uh, CEO of Rio. We've talked about exactly this, that I want to do everything I can to keep Tomago open. And the way to ensure their long-term future is cheap, reliable, clean energy. Rio's obviously said that they want to be able to continue to play a role in a low uh, carbon international economy, which is heading our way whether we like it or not. And in order to do that, they need to be able to have access to low cost, clean energy. And that's exactly what I'm focused on providing them and the other citizens and businesses of this state. I'm just wondering if I can just um, hop in here. Um, the current major supply for the Tomago Smelter is the Dell Coal Generator. Um, now, what has been announced is the Liddell Joint Task Force between the New South Wales government and the federal government. What's become of that? What decisions are you expecting to come out of that? Or is this task force now satisfied that the measures and the incentives and the construction announced by AGL and others is enough to replace that capacity? Or is there going to be a push to in extend further um, the, the, the closure of, the, uh, of that coal generator? Look, firstly, the New South Wales and Commonwealth governments obviously formed the Joint Liddell Task Force last year to investigate and report on the impacts of a Liddell closure on system reliability, electricity prices, industry and the local region. And that investigation has now been completed. Um, and both my federal colleague, Angus Taylor, and I are now considering the report, which is yet to be released to the public. But let me just say this, Giles. Um, what I want to see um, is... Uh, as, I've, as I've said previously, cheap, reliable, um, clean energy in New South Wales. Now, I've got serious concerns about a proposed extension of Liddell, particularly around uh, worker safety. Um, we know this is an ageing bit of kit. And um, as the former Health and Safety Minister in New South Wales, I don't want to see anything that would put our um, you know, our electricity workers or any workers for that matter in harm's way. Everyone should be able to go to work in the morning and come home safely with their families at night. So I don't want to see an extension if it's going to put worker safety in harm's way. The other thing I want to see is reliable electricity for the businesses and families of New South Wales. And an extension of Liddell, um, uh, if that can't guarantee reliability in the system, then I've got serious concerns about an extension. We know, Giles, that last summer, every day there was a hot day, I'd have to go out embarrassingly and tell people they'd had to turn off their air conditioners. Uh, not because of the renewables in the system, but because the existing coal-fired generators that we have relied on for so long didn't work when we needed them to work. Liddell has a nameplate capacity of about 1,600 megawatts, and on a good day, I can only rely on about half of that uh, capacity being generated out of the system. So what we need to do is focus on ensuring that uh, we replace uh, existing generators when they come to their, uh, their, the end of their lives with, uh, with technology that will provide that cheap, reliable energy. And we know from the work of the CSIRO and AMO that uh, the cheapest form of reliable electricity today um, is a combination of wind, solar, batteries and pumped hydro. And the benefit of those technologies is that they're not only cheap and reliable, they're also clean. And as we head towards a low carbon global economy, uh, we have an opportunity to get ahead of the pack, set ourselves up to be a major player in that space. And with low cost, reliable, clean electricity, as we head towards net zero emissions, 
uh, we will see businesses, heavy manufacturing, um, uh, very energy and carbon intensive industries moving here to New South Wales, creating jobs, creating opportunities and underwriting our prosperity for future generations. That's things like data centres and that. I think there's a lot of future computing business, uh, for instance, that could move to New South Wales if, if there was the right um, uh, electricity system. I, I guess the report from ASIL Allen into energy security that, was, that you commissioned and which was released in February this year also has Vale's Point closing in 2028, as Giles mentioned. And I guess my question to you is, can you just rely on these market price signals to make sure that enough supply is actually built in front of the closure of those coal stations? It's kind of a catch-22. If you build new wind and solar uh, and, and some uh, firming, then you'll guarantee those power stations will close. But if you don't build it, then they may close anyway. Uh, and you, you have the sort of thing that happened when Hazelwood closed. I, I mean, it seems to me you'd be better off the, the safer bet for New South Wales uh, voters and taxpayers and electricity consumers is to make sure the supply gets built early. You, you're absolutely spot on, David. And we've seen some uh, examples of what happens when you rely on the market signals uh, to, to get the generation, transmission uh, and electricity into the system. Uh, you get price spikes and you get... Uh, shortages in supply, uh, which is not good for business. It's not good for consumers. We saw that after the closure, closure of Hazelwood. We saw it after the closure of Northern Willarawang. Um, what we need to do is ensure that uh, existing kit is replaced before it closes. And that means, and that's exactly why the New South Wales government has uh, uh, committed to delivering the first coordinated renewable energy zones anywhere in the country. That means we can coordinate the build of generation with transmission so that that is able to provide electricity into the system before the closure of existing generators. Now we know that we've got Liddell coming to the end of its life by 2023. We know that Araring, Vales Point, Bayswater will also be closing in the 2030s. In fact, um, the only coal-fired power station we think that uh, will go to the 2040s is Mount Piper at this stage. So that's why it's really important that we start this coordinated uh, replacement process right now because there is a long runway to get the pumped hydro installed into the system, you know, up to seven years. So one of the problems with, um, you know, governments of all persuasions has been that they've relied, they've waited for the market to sort this out. Um, or they've let politics get in the way of good decisions. I'm not going to let the politics get in the way. We're pushing ahead with our plan to ensure that New South Wales businesses and consumers can have access to cheap, reliable energy. We need to start now. If you don't start moving now, then we won't get the pumped hydro installed in time. We won't get the transmission built in time, and we won't get the generation into the system to ensure that consumers and businesses in this state have access to that cheap, reliable energy. Can I ask very quickly when you expect the Liddell um, report to be released? Uh, look, uh, that's a matter for uh, Minister Taylor and myself. Um, I'd, I'd like to see this report uh, released as soon as possible. Um, there are obviously a huge market implications based on uh, what happens with Liddell. Uh, but let me just reiterate. I wanted the principles that will guide my decisions around uh, Liddell or any other energy 
uh, production will be, is it going to be cheap? Is it going to be reliable? And is it going to be clean? So we're working on those principles and, um, and that's our focus. I've often heard that, um, I mean, you've underlined very well the um, the economic, the environmental and the engineering argument for the shift in renewables, but um, I've often sort of heard it said that the only argument in favour of coal is a political argument. Um, do you see that being, is that the case in New South Wales and also in your dealings with the Federal Minister? Well, I think that obviously um, coal is uh, an important part of our, uh, the, coal, the coal industry plays an important role in our economy. But let's, um, let's not let um, ideology get in the way of good policy. Uh, let's not let um, you know, misinformation get in the way of the facts. The reality is the use of domestic coal is only very small. Um, it's less than 8% of the jobs in New South Wales related to the coal industry. So uh, we know that um, uh, the, the technologies that rely on coal to produce electricity are old technologies and that there are newer technologies that will deliver cheaper, more reliable forms of electricity to the people of New South Wales. So I'm not going to have ideology get in the way of decision-making processes. I want to make decisions based on the economics, based on the science, and based on the facts. And, and that's why we're moving towards newer technologies and transitioning our grids by building these renewable energy zones. And not because of ideology, because uh, that's what the science, that's what the economics say will deliver the cleanest, cheapest, most reliable form of electricity that will set us up for success in the future. If we make decisions based on the evidence and the facts, then that's how we'll get good decisions and good outcomes for the people of this state and indeed our country. I love to hear this uh, evidence-based decision-making. I think that's something that uh, gets over ideology. I guess just in terms of the renewable energy zone um, and also Transgrid's proposal and also looking around the rest of the country where we've seen South Australia and Victoria both expressing some disappointment with the uh, way transmission gets built under the current regulatory process, I, my question, I suppose, is are you happy with the way it, the processes work in terms of getting the new supply built in New South Wales more generally and more specifically um, do you think uh, it's uh, how do you think generators should pay for this transmission? I mean, historically, consumers have paid for it, but if you make the generators pay for it up front, it kind of uh, raises their costs and makes it more difficult, another barrier to entry. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking at different models to ensure that we can get this transmission built and that the uh, the load can be shared amongst those that will benefit from it and those that will use it. So um, we're looking at a num number of different models to achieve that. Um, but what we want to see is a coordinated way of ensuring that generation is built, transmission is built, and cheaper energy is delivered to consumers. That's exactly what we're working towards here in New South Wales. Um, uh, the, the transmission um, system that we have, I mean, Minister Taylor is underwriting the, uh, the renewable energy zones to lower the risk for investors and consumers. So that's one of the models that we're looking at. Uh, so there are a number of tools that we're using to relieve the pressure on families and businesses to upgrade and modernise our grid and to ensure that we get long-term, cheap, reliable electricity to the system. I'll just sneak one quick question in. In your role as uh, Minister for the Environment rather than Energy, I mean, uh, uh, land transport emissions, car and, and truck emissions are 18% of total carbon emissions in New South Wales. And uh, your uh, uh, carbon emission policy 
sort of uh, notes things like electric buses, but doesn't have any timeline. And I look at the policies that have worked overseas, zero emission vehicle sort of certificates, uh, or, uh, you know, cheaper rego for electric vehicles or free parking, or even being tra able to travel in transit lanes. But I don't actually see any timetable or much of a policy in this area. And yet New South cars, new car sales and truck sales are doing terribly in the economy at the moment. And they, you know, there's a car dealership in every country town. Um, isn't this an area where, you know, you could put some concrete policies in place and make a big Im impact? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, I've uh, recently got the first ministerial EV anywhere in the country, um, not because of some attempt to virtue signal, but because it's a great car to drive. It's the best car I've ever driven, to be honest. And guess what? It's damn cheap. And let me tell you what the policy is to get more EVs into the system. It's getting cheap, reliable energy, transitioning our grid. Uh, once you do that, uh, then everything that hangs off the grid will help us decarbonise. So I'm confident uh, with our plan to transition to a modern electricity system. And I'm confident that that will uh, incentivise people uh, to take up EVs because the cost of running these vehicles will be so much better for families and businesses than existing vehicles. We've got a number of levers uh, that we've already announced to uh, ensure that the system is ready for the expansion of EVs in the system. We're setting up a competitive process to build charging infrastructure across New South Wales. Um, you know, you, it's a bit of chicken and egg, but you know, people won't take up EVs if they don't have confidence that they'll be able to charge it as they're driving about Sydney or indeed across the state. We're setting up a competitive process uh, for, uh, to encourage fleets to upgrade to EVs uh, to give the market uh, more choices and more models uh, to suit uh, particular needs. Uh, if you get fleet buyers, uh, they're big purchases of vehicles, that means then you catalyse the secondary market for EVs, making the price point lower for those people that want to get into the market. Um, we've increased uh, the government fleet purchase target to 30% for EVs and hybrids, which you may have read about in some publications, with a 10% uh, pure EV target. And, you know, that's a good thing. Government is a huge buyer of these things. But we're also making sure that our buildings are EV ready. So we've got a number of systems and processes and policies in place to encourage the uptake of EVs, but it all comes back to the single source of truth, and that is cheap, reliable, clean energy, which is exactly why we're transitioning our grid. Well, I've got to ask, what sort of um, electric vehicle have you now got as the ministerial car? I have the uh, Tesla Model 3, and I tell you what, oh. it's the best car that I've ever driven. It's fun. I'm told that it goes very fast. Not that I would know, gents, but uh, it is a great car to drive. Well, I think if you sort of start at, start at zero at the bottom of the hill um, and then go up there, you'll find it does go very quickly because um, I'm lucky enough <laughs> to have one as well. So um, so tell me, um, so how many Tesla Model 3s are there in the fleet in, um, in New South Wales? Well, I'm not too sure. I don't have those statistics available, but I've certainly contributed one of them. And um, it's a great car to drive. And guess what? The running costs are virtually zero. Um, I plug it in. I've got a charger here at Parliament House, um, so we can charge it up pretty quickly. And I live, I'm the member for Hornsby in Sydney's northern suburbs. Uh, it's about 40 k's from the CBD. And we can make, I think we can make three or four return trips uh, on a single charge. So it's great value for money. It's good fun to drive, and uh, I highly recommend that your listeners uh, go and do a test drive. 
I'd, I'd second that. But look, just on, on the EV targets and what David was sort of talking about, I mean, you talked about like a 30% target for by 2030, I think it is. But um, I've just been looking at some stories overnight from England. Their UK climate advisors are pushing for a, a ban, a complete ban on polluting cars by 2032. Isn't it time that we got a, got a wriggle on in Australia? Look, um, the majority of the vehicles that come into the Australian market are from Europe. So uh, the reality is that as a small open market economy, uh, we are exposed to shifts in uh, global demand. And we know that some of those big markets or those big producers of vehicles are moving in one direction, you, whether it be Mercedes, uh, Volvo, um, uh, there's a whole range of vehicle manufacturers worldwide. In fact, all the German car manufacturers have said that they will get they will phase out combustion engines before 2030, and that will have a flow-on effect to us here in Australia. As a without a domestic car industry, we will be importing our vehicles. So whether we like it or not, vehicles that are coming into the Australian market will be EVs, uh, will be uh, cleaner. Uh, emitters and uh, what we need to do is ensure that the market here is ready to uh, take them up as they arrive into the marketplace. I guess the risk is that we might become a dumping ground for really dirty cars in the meantime as we already have because we don't have any fuel emission standards. Is there any policy upcoming from you or from the federal, from the feds about vehicle emissions um, standards or fuel standards or even just a straight out sort of cogent long-term EV policy, this is the transition as we see it? Look, uh, the federal government's obviously uh, responsible for vehicle emission standards, but we're doing a range of work which we'll be announcing very soon around air quality. We're going to have an air quality plan here for New South Wales, which will obviously have a flow-on effect to things like vehicles, or wood heaters, a whole range of things. But um, in terms of uh, getting uh, encouraging people to take up EVs and ensure those opportunities, we've got a suite of policies in place. But it all comes back to one thing, and that is cheap, reliable energy, which is exactly why we're transitioning and modernising our grids so that our consumers can be the beneficiaries of these new great technologies that are coming into the marketplace. So can I, uh, Matt, just ask, I guess coming back to this cheap part, uh, because I noticed you didn't sort of directly answer, which I don't really mind, this thing about government PPAs, but I, it's very, very clear that a lower cost of capital every 1% you can save uh, on the cost of capital is $5. Uh, and at right now, other than saying that wind and solar are, are cheaper, which is true, but it doesn't talk to their value, uh, and value is more important than just cost in a lot of times. I mean, as we know, gas is valuable because it can uh, uh, make electricity at, at peak times of demand, whereas solar just uh, in the middle of the day, and most of the new supply in New South Wales is solar, and pretty soon its value is going to be zero. Uh, in the middle of the day and because it has to compete with rooftop solar as well uh, which it can't do anything about so I, I'm think I keep thinking that you know the New South Wales government has raised uh, over 40 billion dollars from selling out of uh, its historic assets in, uh, over the past 10 years but it, it's it's putting in terms of actual hard cash the policies are great but the actual cash going back in and even the hard targets are, are still you're just hoping the market will all sort it out for itself uh, and just spruiking it rather than actually, you know, uh, making it happen. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. And that's why we're looking at all options 
to uh, lower the cost of capital. We know that's critical to lowering prices. We've got historically low interest rates. That will continue for a long time into the future. But there are other things that we can do, like underwriting, for example, uh, to, uh, as I said, uh, lower the cost of capital, which is critical to lowering electricity prices. <laughs> that's music to my ears. I'll hand it back to Giles. <laughs> no, David, I'm just going to ask if you had any, if you had any final questions. No, I don't. Uh, as I said, it's. Uh, I'm just uh, would uh, encourage uh, uh, Minister Keane <laughs> uh, to keep going because uh, I've been following New South Wales electricity. I wrote some advice uh, to, uh, for Kerry Chikorovsky when she was opposition leader, and it's been a long, slow haul to uh, ever since Mike Baird left office to actually get any real progress going forward. And so I, I'm pleased to see, but. I would point out there's a long way to go. New South Wales has the lowest renewable share. It does have higher prices at the moment uh, at the generator level and forecast to have it. New South Wales still is a net importer right now. And if you go and talk to Matt Howell at Tomago, I'm pretty sure he'll jump up and down that he, that he can't guarantee his future just yet. So I think there's early in the first innings, but I'm uh, looking forward to uh, hearing, hearing the, the score later in the game. <laughs> a right of reply, Minister? Look, um, thank you, David. Um, you know, uh, uh, you, to continue your cricket analogies, I don't intend to be at the crease to block it out. I, I'm here to hit some runs. And, um, you know, there's too much at stake for New South Wales not to be hitting runs in the energy space. We can be. Uh, we have some of the best renewable resources you'll find anywhere on the planet. We've got great sun. We've got great wind. And guess what? We've got the ability to pump. We have a lot of pumped hydro. We've got so many dams, so we can build pumped hydro into the system to help stabilise that intermittent wind and solar. So we are well-placed to be an energy superpower. And the flow-on effect from that means uh, cheaper bills for consumers, cheaper bills for businesses, more opportunities uh, here, and the creation of jobs. With Businesses that are energy intensive, they're looking for a global competitive advantage when it comes to low cost energy, and we can provide it. But we've got to move quickly and we've got to move now. Uh, the world is moving this direction. 53% of the world's GDP has signed up to achieve zero net emissions by 2050. So it's only going in one direction. You'd imagine if the Democrats take the White House, then that final domino will fall and it will turbocharge the world's movement towards uh, zero emissions. We can, uh, we've got two choices here as far as I can see. We can set ourselves up for success and continue to underwrite, uh, be a prosperous nation where jobs are created here domestically and uh, wealth is created here domestically. Or we can stick our head in the sand ignore the global reality uh, that is occurring, those mega trends that are dictating uh, Australia's fortunes, and we can be left behind. The choice is clear. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there is only one way to go, and that is to modernise the grid, deliver cheap, reliable energy, and set ourselves up to be an energy and economic superpower in a low-carbon economy. Minister Matt Keane, that's a very uh, positive way to end this discussion. Thank you very much for joining Energy Insiders. Great to speak to you. And that was Matt Keane, the Energy and Environment Minister in the New South Wales Government. And um, look, it's probably worth just reminding ourselves, um, David, after having listened to that, that he is actually a um, member of the Liberal Party. Oh, no. Look, I think... Uh... 
there's wide support for doing stuff about the environment generally and and more renewable energy and decarbonising the economy. Let's not forget that. And and you know, New South Wales, with the exception of a few patches, is not Queensland or West Australia. Even the coal industry in New South Wales is is not as big as all that. Uh, and, and and so it's it's perfectly possible to get things done in the state. And not only that, we need to get them done. So I think myself that the, the thing about Matt Keane is that he's really good for the Liberal Party because he's going to attract a, a section of voters that, that just don't want to hear the sort of message that comes out of federal Liberals. That's what I think. No, look, that's a good point. But um, I guess hearing um, a Liberal like Matt Keane talking in this way and, uh, you know, just a very positive sort of outlook for the transition to renewables. And this isn't, as he says, driven by ideology or anything like that. I mean, New South Wales has um, ageing coal generators it needs to replace over the next 10, 15, 20 years at the outside. So he needs to choose something. And the obvious solution, as he made clear, was uh, wind and solar and storage. But it just goes to show that it doesn't need to have this sort of, you know, this partisan and um, this sort of partisan bickering, but it's probably just a minority within um, his own party, both in state and nationwide, that um, or in, within their coalition, that um, causing the problems. Well, look, I don't want to get too much more into the politics, and uh, you know, as for me in that interview, uh, as much as anything else, it was the uh, what I ex- thought was the genuine sentiment kind of expressed by uh, Matt driving a Tesla, which I know was uh, made you very happy to hear that. Uh, but, 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 Giles, the fact is that, you know, the policies still don't have very many teeth in truth, uh, uh, as we've already discussed. The carbon, everything's just sort of, let's hope the market's going to sort it out for us and without us having to force things into action. And, you know, if we can, if we can kind of uh, smooth the way a tiny bit, well, that's great, but we're not going to put any real dollars into it. Uh, New South Wales has raised $40 billion, over $40 billion from the sale of electricity assets, and it's putting uh, less than a billion dollars of its own money back in pretty much uh, over 10 years. So that's $200 million a year, which is like nothing. I mean, I think it's way less than that, actually. And on top of that, there's nothing really happening in the electric vehicles of any significance uh, yet. So, so we're a long way short. But and even if we let, let's leave the carbon to one side and just focus on the electricity side of things, this focus on cost over value uh, is 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 something that Paul McArdle at Global Rome uh, is always on about, and any investment banking person will say the same. Cost is not as it's more important to get value than cost. And if solar developers, if we, if all of this stuff that goes into New South Wales is going to be solar, then New South Wales is going to end up with a big problem. Wind is cheaper than solar. It's harder to build it, I admit. It's hard, but it's uh, it's cheaper. It has more diversity benefits, uh, and it and it requires less firming than solar. So pretty soon, the solar price in the middle of the day, and solar has to utility solar has to compete with rooftop solar. So really, it doesn't matter how much transmission you've got uh, at some point in time, uh, the, the price for the, getting good value out of solar is just isn't going to be there. And, and so there's a lot more policy tweaks needed, you know, once, uh, once, once we start going down this path. It's nice to have the dream, but turning dreams into reality is uh, not always as easy as it seems. 
And if you do want to read more about David's analysis of this solar versus wind and the cost versus value of solar, then he's written another excellent analysis, which we've published on Renew Economy um, on today, um, Monday. Um, it's actually leaping one day forward from where we're actually recording this podcast. But anyway, but um, have a look at it. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll be able to find his analysis on the website. And another one's coming too, David. Look, we had an analysis last week um, from Dr. Jim Green, uh, from Friends of the Earth about nuclear costs, um, and that set the nuclear lobby um, a flutter as it normally does. But you've got another um, a, a few thoughts coming this week as well about carbon capture. So you know, this focus on technology. This is where I think uh, it's technology and economics that deliver the solution, but they won't deliver the solutions that we need by themselves. I mean. Yeah, uh, coal stations. Uh, you know, it takes more than three years to replace a coal station. You spend the first two years arguing about how to do it, you, as we've already seen in transmission, and then you spend another year just uh, getting the framework in place. And bingo, you know, the, the power station's closed, and the coal one, and and you haven't got anything there. You know, Vale's Point's going to be closing in 2028, which the New South Wales government's own analysis appears to indicate. Uh, uh, that's sl- slightly overstating it but not much but uh but that's that's the that's what the assumption that they wanted to have put into a report that they commissioned uh that, that was done by Asel tasman on the new south wales energy security target then you know replacing vales point as well as liddell takes a lot of work starting now and waiting for the market to build all that new solar and wind is a very risky we want the solar and wind it's cheap but you need a policy so that's why i'm so big on the government actually uh, facilitating this and targeting it and planning it a bit more uh, uh, by by um, a, a, a reverse auction or something like that. And then we move on to the, and this relates to the government sort of uh, program, the federal government now I'm talking about of uh, technology, not taxes. Uh, you know, I might as well have said, uh, you know, uh, oil trading, uh, not, not policy. You know, that's basically seems to be Angus Taylor's mode of operandi. <laughs> jumping up and down and patting himself on the back because he's done a good day trade with taxpayers' money in the oil business instead of developing any real policy that's going to see Australia through 20 or 30 years of work. And so they talk about nuclear. I mean, the private sector, the, the, new, the world, I mean, it's hardly worth talking about nuclear. It's so expensive. But then you get to carbon capture and storage. And again, this is another technology. I mean, at the moment, the best estimate we have for that is that it's going to cost US $60 uh, effectively, a megawatt hour is what it's going to add to the cost. And one of the things they don't talk about mostly is that you needed, as last time I saw it, about 20% more coal has to be burnt to actually run the process that does the carbon capture. And then it, you're not going to get much economy of scale out of it because every storage solution uh, is going to be different. You know, what's how you do storage in in Victoria will be different to how it's done in New South Wales if you were to do it, or different to West Australia, different to overseas. So so, so that, and every one of those has, uh, you know, a unique geography challenge and, and environmental challenges of its own. So, you know, new wind and solar, and, and in fact, new wind and solar firmed up can probably just about un- undercut the cost of the uh, carbon capture right now all by itself, never mind the actual cost of generating uh, from coal. So the question is, why, why does the government want to chase this so hard? I mean, chasing a little bit's fine, but I mean, and more to the point, why not put a policy in place that lets the market buy, give a bit of money to Arena for that if that's what they want to do? But let's have a policy in place, like a carbon policy, that lets the market give the solutions that's needed. If we turn to the firming side of things and promoting gas, sorry, Joe, sorry, you know, keep going, keep going. 
uh, if you want to build a gas generator, you want to know what the car what what the carbon cost is going to be, or roughly in five or ten years' time. Otherwise, it adds to your gas generation cost of capital, just the the, the uncertainty and the risk, and it makes it very hard. So we, we, we've had this week the um, big electricity users, the um, uh, AEC, I think it is. Uh, excuse me, you're the one on the acronyms. Uh, so Sarah McNamara Australian calling. Energy, Australian, Australian Energy Council. Uh, calling for, for uh, uh, you know, net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, we've had the uh, big energy users have also called long and hard for a carbon policy. Just that the only people that don't want a carbon policy pretty much uh, are the coalition at the federal government. But there is a lot of support for doing something. And uh, one of the things I didn't mention about the uh, New South Wales policies, they haven't just talked about 2050. They've talked about the 2020, 2030. And it's good that they do that. One, because of the carbon necessity, but two, from an electricity point of view, if you don't focus on how things, how tough things already are in the New South Wales coal industry, uh, it's in 2020, you're going to be missing a lot that is going to be going on by 2025. That's right. Yeah. And you're, you're wondering why the government sort of doesn't um, sort of put these um, policies in. I guess this, the simple answer is that they know what the answer to the question is, but they just don't like the response. And I guess that's possibly it'd be intriguing to see what comes out of this Liddell task force. Just to go back to the Matt Keane interview, um, he made it pretty clear that he didn't seem to think that Liddell should keep going. Um, didn't say it in as many words, but sort of said, you know, he's very worried about the safety and the reliability and um, wasn't convinced that it was going to be right at all to keep it going. And that's pretty much what AGL have been telling the market for the last three years. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. And I guess that's just one of the many reports that um, Angus Taylor is sitting on. Um, this and um, the uh, as yet futile efforts to try and get some funding for those new gas-fired power stations and other, other things under the UNGI um, system we haven't heard from those and um, Vales Point extension and um, and pumped hydro projects in South Australia so all a bit of a mystery. And Giles look we, we shouldn't talk too long about the same old topics but if I just talk, come back to politics uh, which interests me although I try to avoid it that I, the reason the federal government goes this way is it's 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 because it is because at the end their support base is in Queensland and West Australia. That's what they are the two states that really make a difference, and particularly Queensland. And the, the biggest number of coalition uh, uh, members in federal parliament comes from Queensland. Even though it's a smaller state by economy and population, it's actually got the most number of members uh, of the coalition in parliament. And as you know, the coalition wins all those seats in, in Queensland. So the fact that what the rest of Australia wants is to a certain extent irrelevant. The election uh, democracy where everyone gets a vote has produced a result uh, where a few people in Queensland, about 200,000 voters in the end, uh, more than the Labor ones, end up running the show. And that reminds me of one other topic, Giles, that we, we, we have to talk about. And that is, uh, uh, what do you think of Anthony Albanese's sort of uh, uh, views this week? I mean, I, I, I'm... You know, it's, it's almost enough to uh, make you tear your hairs out if I had any. Well, I'm, I don't have any either, and um, it's pretty frustrating. Look, trying to get someone to the table, trying to get them being reasonable, I mean, that sort of goes against the last 10 or 12 years. Um, look, I just think there's a wonderful opportunity for Labor to actually differentiate itself with. I think they're probably paying too much into this idea that that cost them the election last time. Um, I still think... 
you can actually sort of sell a vision out there um, and um, not come to the table with a whole bunch of compromises already prepared. So it's, um, yeah, I, I just think well, I, this political I, I, I debate yeah. needs a vision. I agree. I don't. It wasn't carbon policy that cost them the election. It, I don't believe. And in fact, I can point clearly to the fact that it was carbon policy that won run an election back in 2007. And I want to say again, I'm perfectly happy to support the New South Wales Liberal Party if they're doing something as the same way we'll support any government that is actually getting on with the task, which is decarbonising. And and I, I think Labor, because of the, it's the same CFMEU uh, basically worries about its coal mining jobs, that 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 is really misses a trick. The only way I guess I, when I think about it politically is is maybe just been a small target. It seems to be working for Biden, who's gone into the bunker and is not emerging until after the election, as far as I can see in the United States. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> going to work for Albanese too, but I'm not so sure that Morrison will blow himself up. But anyway, we're straying long and far from electricity. But the point is, uh, I, I think uh, being strong on the environment, being strong on carbon change, uh, it's been strong on renewable energy, uh, and so, you know, standing up and saying what you really think is actually a way to win an election. That's an election winning topic uh, on, on I really believe that. And I'd agree with you. And on that point, we should bring this podcast to a close. We do like to thank our sponsors, um, Evergen and Solaray Energy. Thank you very much for you, to you both for your ongoing support. Thank you very much to all the listeners out there. Do please leave us a review on your favourite platform. I think the Apple platform is probably one of the best ones for the reviews and there's lots of very um, um, complimentary comments out there and we do appreciate that. We thank you for listening and thank you, David. Cheers, Giles. Trust everyone has a great week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, a market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises the performance of residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen software is powering the energy of the future. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarAy Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solaray.com.au and secure your energy future today.